Ambition died on August 3rd, 2015. A sudden death. I buried Ambition in the forest, next to distress. They used to take walks together until Ambition pushed distress off the embankment. Now they put a bracelet around my father's ankle. The alarm rings when he gets too close to the door. His ambitious nature makes him walk to the door a lot. When the alarm rings, he gets distressed. He remembers that he wants to find my house. He thinks he can find my house. His fingerprints have long vanished from my house. Some criminals put their fingers on electric coils of a stove to erase their fingerprints. But it only makes them easier to find. They found my father in the middle of the road last month, still like a bulbless lamp, unable to recall its function, confused like the moon. At the zoo, a great bald eagle sits in a small cage because of a missing wing. Its remaining wing is grief. Above the eagle, a bird flying is the eagle's memory and its prey, the future. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is Obit, Ambition, by Victoria Chang, and it deals with one of life's most difficult questions. How do we grieve something that isn't physical death? That is to say, something that exists in the abstract. For example, here it is ambition, not just the poet's own, but someone else's, as we'll come to understand. This is a question not only in this poem, but indeed the entire collection that it's taken from. Victoria Chang published Obit in 2020, and it is a collection of exactly that abbreviation, obituaries. The book is quite unlike any collection of poems I've ever read. It creates obituaries for a litany of things, from a frontal lobe, memory, a clock, a priest, and even the author herself. Obit came about in a relatively brief amount of time, as much of Chang's body of work does. It also came about at the end of an intense period of grief in the poet's life. She explained the exact circumstances of the work in an interview with the Edouard Journal. When someone you care about dies, if they're a big part of your life at least, which my mom obviously was, especially because she was so sick and my dad was sick too, everything dies. Then I went home and wrote these little obituaries where everything dies. Then I ended up spending the next two weeks in a fury, not doing much else but writing them. They just flooded out. So the collection was born out of a need to express grief in a way that made sense. When speaking about the intentional choice of the obituary form, Chang explained the traditional elegy, poetic form used for mourning and lamentation, simply couldn't encompass the width and breadth of her grief. In its tendency towards honouring the memory of the deceased, the elegy couldn't really sum up their totality. An obituary, on the other hand, did just that. I will quote the poet one more time, and I'll hope you'll forgive me. 
for so many direct quotations. But a work this personal deserves the author's own words to explain it. There would have been a ton of amazing elegies, don't get me wrong, but I couldn't find a grief book in poetry that really spoke to me. I wanted to try to write the grief book, to write a book that would have helped me. Could I even describe these feelings? That became the challenge, and that was really, really hard. That's what I set out to do. And so grief, in all its forms, its abstractions and its implications, is explored by Chang in Obit. This poem, Obit Ambition, I feel embodies so much of what the poet herself set out to do. Before we jump into our analysis of the poem, I've got a favour to ask. If you're enjoying the episode so far, or if you're a long-time listener, please consider leaving a review on whatever platform you listen on. It really does help the podcast get out to more people. With that being said, let's take a closer look. For the sake of convenience, I've split the poem into four sections for analysis. The first section, like so many obituaries, establishes the circumstances around the death. Ambition died on August 3rd, 2015, a sudden death. I buried ambition in the forest, next to distress. They used to take walks together, until ambition pushed distress off the embankment. The word ambition is treated like a name, and thus like a person. The death date chosen by Chang is no arbitrary choice. August 3rd, 2015, is the date her mother passed away. It coincides with the death of her own ambition. This, at first, might seem a bizarre correlation. Why would her own ambition leave her with her mother's passing? It is because her mother instilled ambition and a strong work ethic in Chang herself. Once again, she speaks about this in her interview with the Adwat Journal. My mission in life, my mother gave it to me, was always to be really successful at whatever I did. Work harder than everyone else. Do the best you can and just go, go, go. Mostly because it's a good thing to be ambitious. And so now, in the wake of her mother's death, the mission, as it were, has changed. Chang continues the first section in the style of many obituaries, giving details on the burial. We know that the poet herself has buried ambition next to distress. That line is a possible hint that in order to be successful, Chang felt she had to surpass any sense of upset or emotion, to be ruthless, as it were. This theory is lent further credence when we discover that it is ambition who made distress meet its end, even though they had once been friends of a sort. I feel it's very important to note that both ambition and distress have been anthropomorphized to some degree here. They take walks. They have friendships. Recognising this helps us to make sense of the surreal interplay of emotion that is happening within the speaker while they are talking. In that way, we see that Chang is succeeding in her goal of communicating grief. From there, the poem changes direction sharply, shifting from the speaker's inner world to a focus on other people in their life, in this case, their father. Now, they put a bracelet around my father's ankle. 
The alarm rings when he gets too close to the door. His ambitious nature makes him walk to the door a lot. When the alarm rings, he gets distressed. He remembers that he wants to find my house. He thinks he can find my house. His fingerprints have long vanished from my house. Here, another's living ambition is introduced. What's more, a living form of distress is also present. The imagery of medical equipment and confinement are shown to us. The bracelet around the ankle immediately conjures one of two images for the reader. One, the morbid image of the morgue. Or two, the imprisonment of an ankle monitor. The next line makes it clear which one it is. The alarm rings when he gets too close to the door. We are not certain just yet of why he is confined. We do know that his ambition is alive and kicking, however, as he walks to the door a lot. Each time hopeful that this time he will succeed. Unfortunately, upon each failure, he is left more and more distressed. From here, our speaker gives us some clue as to what is really going on. He remembers he wants to find my house. He thinks he can find my house. The drive and hubris of ambition are on display in equal force. We are then met with a sentence that shows us that his ambition is possibly dead too. His fingerprints have long vanished from my house. The speaker's father has not succeeded in his ambitions in some time. This entire section of the poem is intensely autobiographical for Chang. Six years prior to the death of her mother, her father suffered a stroke and soon lapsed into dementia. With this key piece of information, the section makes complete sense. There is something incredibly tragic in Chang's depiction of futile ambition, a constant drive that can never be acted upon by her father. That sense of tragedy is only compounded by the next section, where the image of fingerprints is expanded upon to lead us onwards. Some criminals put their fingers on electric coils of the stove to erase their fingerprints, but it only makes them easier to find. They found my father in the middle of the road last month, still, like a bulbless lamp, unable to recall its function. Confused like the moon. The inclusion of criminals here is a masterstroke from Chang. Firstly, it naturally evolves the imagery of imprisonment from the previous section. Secondly, it highlights just how unfair this disease is, not only on her father, but on herself as well. She has essentially been robbed of her father. He is present, but not the man she once knew. He is alive, but unknowing of her. His presence in her life, much like his fingerprints in her home, and those of the robbers, have been all but erased. Upon reading that line, fingers on electric coils of a stove, the audience immediately imagines the immense pain that action must cause, and so gets some sense of what the poet herself must be going through because of that erasure. Following on from there, we see the fallout of what happens if her father's ambition does somehow succeed. They found my father in the middle of the road last month, still 
like a bulbless lamp, unable to recall its function. Once again, Chang effortlessly ties imagery together. The electricity of the stove finds new purchase in the lamp her father resembles. This time, however, he is bulbless. That vital spark is missing. This imagery of the obsolete drives home how lost he truly is. We understand now just how many ways ambition has died in this poem. The final simile of this section, confused like the moon, is a little harder to decipher. My best guess is that this is a literary reference to another famous poet. And, given that Chang is fond of allusions to other writers and poets in her work, I feel confident in stating that it is a reference to T.S. Eliot's Rhapsody on a Windy Night. Rhapsody on a Windy Night is one of Eliot's earlier poems and fittingly centres around a narrator who finds themselves on a surreal, almost nightmarish journey in the dead of night. The parallels between this and the image that Chang has constructed of her father are clear. Chang is referencing this part in particular. The moon has lost her memory. A washed-out smallpox cracks her face. Her hand twists a paper rose that smells of dust and old cologne. She is alone. Eliot's poem is one of memory, erosion and loneliness. And it's hard to imagine a more suited source to draw inspiration from for Chang here. In the final section of Chang's poem, there is one more shift in imagery that combines multiple images and themes from the poem overall into closing lines. At the zoo, a great bald eagle sits in a small cage because of a missing wing. Its remaining wing is grief. Above the eagle, a bird flying is the eagle's memory and its prey, the future. It's hard to imagine that Chang isn't creating a metaphor for her father here, a once powerful man, at least in her eyes, who has been laid low by affliction. Chang wrote a sort of follow-up project to Obits called Dear Memory, Letters on Writing, Silence and Grief. This project contained, as you may have guessed, a series of letters to those the poet has lost. It is incredibly well written, poignant and frequently devastating. In one letter to her father, she refers to his brain as a gilded frame. I think the grain of that image sits in the small cage mentioned here. The missing wing is an elegant stand-in for the missing mind of her father. While the other wing of grief is the loss of his wife, perhaps. The bird flying above the eagle is a memory just out of reach. Something that all the ambition in the world will not allow the eagle to catch once again. The further reference to that bird as prey shows how dementia can twist the memories of the sufferer, warping them. Finally, the bird is the future for her father, one he will never truly reach. There is a tremendous weight to Obed ambition. Victoria Chang has succeeded in giving voice and form to her grief, at least in my mind. She perfectly encompasses the thousand little ways we can mourn and grieve someone or something in this poem alone. 
and it is far from unique within the collection. Chang manages to find so many ways of expressing the loss of so many things. Every time she does so, it will sit with you long after you've read it. In a world filled with beautiful elegy and poems honouring the dead, I feel that Victoria Chang is one of the first to actually grasp the myriad ways our grief can cut us. Not only for those who have left us, but for those who remain as well. What did you think of the poem? As always, this is my interpretation, and I'd love to hear yours. If you'd like to get in touch with me, there are a few ways you can do so. You can reach me directly by email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch through the podcast website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com. I'm on Twitter, or X, at Words That Burn. I'm on Instagram, at Words That Burn Podcast, and TikTok, at Words That Burn 2. If you'd like to read the script for this week's episode, complete with citations and sources, check the Substack link in the description. If you enjoyed the episode or know someone who might, consider sending it to them directly, or leaving me a review wherever you listen. Words That Burn is written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. You'll hear from me again soon.